And as you turn to the book of Exodus, we come to a topical sermon uh, on the nature of abortion. In God's providence, we often consider topical sermons that don't fit into our regular series when providence seems to call for it. And just as a note, I am going to say some very hard things about abortion and those things, uh, those who murder babies. And uh, so I want to just preface it this way, that if you have had an abortion, and many Christian women have, especially before their conversion, the Lord Jesus Christ can forgive you of such a thing. And if your faith is in him and you have repented of your sin, he has forgiven you. And you must know that. But this message is meant to be a hard one so that we would all be revolted by this evil sin and we would know that Jesus Christ sees it as murder and idolatry. And I'll just ask, you know, as we are as those who, who still maintain the singing of the Psalms, when was the last time you sang about the murder of children? And we have just done that, showing that the psalm book is completely, completely perfect for every need, even speaking and singing to the nature of abortion. Well, let us now turn to Exodus 20, verse 13. These are the Ten Commandments, and this is the Sixth Commandment. These are the words of God. Let us receive them as such. Exodus twenty thirteen: Thou shalt not kill. And then turn over to Exodus 21. The next page, probably in your Bible, and pick up at verse 22 to 25. And this is an application as a preface of the moral law of God. This is the case law that shows how to apply thou shalt not kill when it comes to children in the womb. If men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished according as the woman's husband will lay upon him. And he shall pay as the judges determine. But if any mischief, and that word is evil or harm, if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Amen. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Let us pray for the preaching. Our Father and our God, what a solemn text and what a solemn topic. And it seems grievous that we must even preach such things. And yet this is your mind, Father, and your word is complete and perfect for every occasion you have revealed the mind of God. And so we pray now in the preaching of the word, it would be the mind of God that would be revealed to us as we search the scriptures. Oh, Father, would you speak, Father, through the preaching of the word, give your spirit that the man here would not preach his own passions, or the man here would not preach his own uh, indignation, but rather the indignation of God against evil, and that the man would also proclaim the blessed Redeemer that we have that forgives so richly and graciously and calls all men and uh, women and nations to himself. Father, help the man preach up Christ. Give the spirit of the Lord to the people of God as well, and to all here who will hear the word of God, that we would receive the word of God meekly and humbly, and that we would conform ourselves to what the word says. And so to that end, Father, we remember that you have said, is not my word like as a fire and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? We believe it is so, Lord. So send your word as fire and as a hammer to smash our stony hearts. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, you undoubtedly have heard that the Supreme Court 
might reverse that 1973 decision, which is known as Roe v. Wade. And, uh, you know, the reaction to it was, all, was, was very interesting. On one hand, you had many uh, conservatives and Christians who thought, this is now, this is now our hope. Our hope has come to pass that now abortion will be done away with. And on the other hand, you saw the reaction on the other side where legislators are now rushing forward with legislation uh, designed to make abortion legal. And you've seen these two competing uh, uh, viewpoints here. And we ask, why is it that so many men, right? Well, first of all, let's forget the, the idea or never imagine the idea that Roe, turning over Roe is actually our hope because it's not. And many Christian people have put their hopes there and they're going to find them dashed very quickly because the pagans are coming along and they are wanting to make abortion legal in this country. Why would they want to do such a thing? Well, the Bible says it very plainly that those who hate God are lovers of death. Proverbs 8 verse 36. That's why pagans love the demonic and that is why pagans love the ghoulish. All they that hate me love death. And who is the epitome of that in the very opening pages of Scripture? It is the devil who hates God and who sought, and I'm going to cover this a little later in the, in the preaching, who sought from the very beginning to see what were to him blessed words, that man would die as he causes man to sin. And so he was a murderer from the beginning. He loves death because why? He hates God. And as these hate God, Romans 1, we heard that a few weeks ago, says that men who hate God are turned over to their idolatry and to sins such as murder and infanticide. We saw that in the book of Romans chapter 1. But today, what we have to also understand, we are under assault, uh, the, the nation is under assault, the church is under assault from within the church. Uh, apostate churches like the PCUSA are pushing, pushing dramatically for the right of women to murder their children today. And again, what is the reason? They hate God. They say they love men, but really they hate God and so they love death. And you will encounter a shocking twisting of scripture by them in the days to come. You know, usually they don't even bother to quote scripture and this is what uh, liberal churches do. They don't care. They just make emotive appeals. But you're also going to find that they are going to twist Scripture so that uh, you might be confused about the mind of God. Uh, apostates will use this very text I will be preaching out of, uh, out of unfaithful translations like the RSV, to make you believe that God does not believe abortion is murder. And in league with the world, they will try to fool Christians into thinking abortion is okay and is even good. And so today, I want us to see how Jesus Christ views abortion. That we might adopt heaven's view on the matter. That we might ask, what does the Lord of heaven think? And what does the Lord of heaven want when it comes to this point? You know, the wrong question that so many uh, Christians are asking today is this. What does the Constitution say about abortion? That's the wrong question, friends. Utterly so. The right question is, what does God think about abortion? And, it, it, you know, the, we don't care what the Constitution says on one level. Constitution can, can say, murder your firstborn children. And we will say, we will obey God rather than man. I don't care. God doesn't care what the Constitution says. 
and neither must we. And see, the problem is, we have so many people saying, we must say that the Constitution forbids uh, abortion. And on the other side, we're saying, uh, the Constitution says a woman has a right to privacy, and somehow that gives you the right to murder your child. And that, that logic is inescapable. It's bizarre. It makes no sense. But the right question is, what saith the Lord? That's what really matters. And what provoked me uh, to preach this especially is that men in the church, even in, in conservative churches, are saying you should not preach against abortion because that is a political subject. It's shocking. Friends, this is, and I'll just say this so you might link this to another doctrine, that is the final absurdity of a radical separation of church and state where men are told they cannot preach against the plague of abortion in this land. Friends, let me remind you, Christianity is supremely political. It is. What is our political slogan as the church of all ages? Jesus Christ is Lord. The early church adopted Philippians 2.11 when Caesar oppressed the church. Jesus is supremely political. In every area of life, don't you think the God of heaven declares his mind? And Jesus Christ claims lordship over it. We must put away the kind of thinking that says politics has no place in the pulpit, friends. Now, if you mean politics, and, and there is a right sense where that is true. If you mean politics in terms of being a booster for a political party, yes, keep politics out of the pulpit. But Jesus speaks to topics that are political all the time. Why is that? Is he not the king of kings? Is he not the lord of lords? And so don't you think that the king of kings has something to say about every area of politics? Of course. The second psalm says rulers must be wise and submit to Christ. And to not preach against societal evils is the enemy's tactic to subvert Christ's lordship. That's all that is. And so we will hear what the king has to say about abortion tonight, with our theme being that Christ hates abortion and we must repent of it nationally. And we'll consider that under three heads. First is that truth to see it from the scripture. Christ hates abortion, and that's where we'll spend most of our time. Second is Christ's enemies love abortion. And third, Christ's cure for abortion. First, Christ hates abortion. You heard from Exodus 20, verse 13. Thou shalt not kill. Why Christ, Christ hates abortion is simple. It is the murder of a vulnerable human person. And the Lord has said that he cares for the most vulnerable among us. This morning you heard he cares so much about widows and orphans. And no persons are more vulnerable than a helpless fetus, friend. No other person is so helpless and I'll establish that a fetus or embryo is a human person later. But first, we must understand why in general the sixth commandment is so grave. Murder kills an image bearer. And that is what makes murder most grave. See, we miss that truth, don't we? And we make even the heinousness of murder simply about us as creatures. We say, and there's a right sense to this is true, I won't deny it. We say, a person was cut down by another what a tragedy that is, right? A person was shot or stabbed or killed or whatever uh, by another person. How tragic that is. But you know what? That is not what primarily makes murder heinous. Its heinousness is that human persons 
are the most special kind of creature. Every human bears the image of God. That is why God told Noah, and we forget this, right? Why did God tell Noah to put down murderers and put murderers to death? Genesis 9, 6. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For in the image of God made he man. Do you see what makes murder so heinous, friends? It is because a man or a woman or a child is made in the image of God. And that is the foundational reason for why murder is evil. It snuffs out an image bearer. It is actually an expression of hatred against God himself. Man cannot hurt God, so we hurt men. Why was Jeremiah thrown into the cistern? It's because he comes with the message of God. And no, none of those apostates can hurt God, but they can hurt Jeremiah. Why is it finally, after 4,000 years, man gets his chance when Christ is crucified to hurt God? And they take it because man hates God. And cannot hurt God. And so they hurt the the human person that is a bearer of God's image. So that is what makes murder heinous. But let us now establish that God sees the fetus in the womb as a human person that must not be killed. So we began with uh, Exodus 21 in the scripture reading here. And let's look at verse 22. Which is, as I have said already in the introduction to the text, this is part of the civil laws of Israel. And what we must understand as we look at the civil laws of Israel is that every civil law has its basis in the moral law of God. That's why Exodus 20 gives you the Ten Commandments. Exodus 21 starts to show us the the application of that law to society. And so we see that there is what we call general equity in them. What you have to understand about civil laws is every civil law at the heart is moral. And what you need to also, this is a, a subtle dodge here, friends. Don't let secular, uh, the secular uh, world get away with saying you cannot legislate morality. That's another lie that the world uses to keep Christians from teaching Christ's lordship. Every civil law in this nation has some moral basis to it. Why are there seatbelt laws? Because we believe that uh, a person passing away in a car accident, that is morally wrong. There's a moral basis of that. We don't want to see innocent lives uh, killed, uh, at least as we understand innocent lives, not ultimately in the sense that uh, we know all sinners are guilty before God. But in terms of, you know, a a person going down the street, why is a child uh, supposed to be put in a, a child seat? It's the same thing. We want to protect the least of us that they would not perish in a car accident. And so every civil law is at the heart moral. And every civil law then passed in this nation has a moral basis to it. And the question we have to ask is, whose morals are they using, right? Are they using the world's morals, or are they using Christ's morals, or are they using the devil's morals? What a secularist, what a secular person says about abortion, right? They, they say that abortion should be allowed. What is their reasoning for it, they usually give you? A woman has a moral right to choose to kill their baby, That's a moral claim, friends, that it is right for a woman to kill their baby. But where is the only place that you can actually go to get true moral claims? The giver of the moral law of God, which is Jehovah. 
So that said, uh, um, and th that might seem like it was a little bit uh, of an aside, but it's important because we want to make sure that morals are the basis of all law. So let's turn to the scripture text again. And we see that this text establishes abortion as murder, but it also does so in linking it to the fact that a human person that is killed, God says, or murdered, God says, must be put to death themselves. And this is how we establish here that a human person uh, is found as an embryo or as a fetus in the womb. And so Exodus 21, we find a situation that arises in which two men fight. A pregnant woman gets involved, probably coming to the aid of her husband. And in the process, she is struck. And there are two clauses here for what might happen next. The first clause is in verse 21 that deals when her fruit departs from her. And that word fruit signifies her baby in her womb. Boys and girls, you remember that the Bible speaks of the fruit of the womb, right? In Psalm 127, verse 3, that means the child that she is bearing. And so in this first clause, the baby is born, and yet no mischief or harm follows. That's what that word mischief in the King James means in the underlying Greek. So if there's no harm done either to mother or child, there is a premature birth, which is what the 1984 NIV translates this as. It translates as, if there is a premature birth, then there shall be a fine. The husband of the, the, the mother sets the fine, and the judges will confirm whether it is an appropriate fine. Now, in the second clause, in verses 23 to 25, it deals with real harm being done. And if any mischief follows, so now harm is here. If any harm follows, thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. You know this as lex talionis, right? The law of retribution. Whatever harm comes to mother or child will come upon the perpetrator. That means if the mother or child is lifeless, the one who struck her will die. If the child is deformed or the mother is injured in another way, the perpetrator who struck them will receive the same punishment. In other words, those who abort a child, those who cause a fetus to die, are to be put to death. This text, this text does two important things. First, and this is important. It says that unborn children are worth the same as a born person because the penalty is the same, death. If a man is put to death for murdering another, then a man who murders a child or a woman who murders a child must also be put to death, whether that child is in the womb or outside of the womb. And that also means that abortionists must be put to death. That's a very consistent application, isn't it, friends, of whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. And the New Testament does not abolish the death penalty for murder. And so many people are deluded in that. Romans 13 says of the magistrate, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Now, this is not talking about us taking the law in our hands to put to death abortionists. I just need to preface it that way. But it is the civil, civil magistrate's duty to put abortionists to death. Now, many balk at this, wanting to outlaw abortion, even many pro-life people, but not apply the death penalty to it. But I think fundamentally the reason is that we, at the same time, don't value. Isn't this a sad thing? We don't value the child in utero as we do a child outside. 
And this is the problem with so many pro-life people, is that they don't actually see that the child inside, they say it, but they don't really mean it. That the child inside is worth what the child is outside. You know, you think about this. If a woman drowns her children in a bathtub, many of us would and should cry out for the death penalty, wouldn't we? We would say that woman must be put to death, and many have been put to death. But if a woman kills a child in her own body, one God has called her to nurture and care for in the most vulnerable state, that God has specifically said, I have blessed you with this child, then we call it reproductive rights. And even pro-life people will say, leave the poor woman alone, do not convict her. And then what about those who commit abortion? If a pediatrician uh, killed an infant by injecting them with acid, right? Here's a toddler, let me inject him with acid. We would be horrified, though this is essentially how so many children are aborted in the womb. If he killed a toddler by scrambling their brains on the examination table, our anger would be ignited. We would say, put the monster down and let the government kill him. But if an abortionist does the same to a child in the womb, it is called a medical service. And even many on the pro-life side would say, leave the man alone, he should not be convicted. But I like what John Calvin did when he commented on a text like this, because I think he brings out the force of it. He says, the fetus, though enclosed in the womb of its mother, is already a human being. And it is almost a monstrous crime to rob it of the life which it has not yet begun to enjoy. Do you hear that? This, this child, it's almost more heinous. It is actually the reverse of what we think. It is more heinous to kill the child in the womb than it is to kill a child outside of it. Because this child hasn't even begun to enjoy life. It has, not, it has been robbed of every potential of life because it has been murdered. It is a monstrous crime. In the same way, you might know this from civil law, if you are found liable, beloved, of crippling a young person in the prime of life, the damages will be greater than if you did the same to an older person because they have not had uh, the ability to uh, experience life. They have not had the possibility yet to earn. Their earning potentials are reduced and, and destroyed, whereas an older person has experienced much of life. And it's the same rationale he makes here, Calvin does. And he continues, and you know this from, uh, so many have shared this quote, if it seems more horrible to kill a man in his own house than in a field, right? Like in, in his domain, in his refuge. If it's more horrible to kill him in his house than in a field because a man's house is his place of most secure refuge, it ought surely to be deemed more atrocious to destroy a fetus in the womb before it has come to light. You know, beloved, the womb of our mothers is meant to be the safest place on earth for us. We do not expect danger there, and we are at our most vulnerable inside of our mother's womb. And it is actually a heinous, heinous thing to take life out of the womb. He continues, Calvin does, On these grounds I am led to conclude without hesitation that the words, if death or mischief, as the King James puts it, should follow, must be applied to the fetus as well as to the mother. Besides, it would be by no means reasonable that a father should sell for a set sum the life of his son or daughter. Wherefore, this, in my opinion, is the meaning of the law, that it would be a crime punishable with death, not only when the mother died from the effects of the abortion, but also if the infant should be killed, whether it should die from the wound abortively or soon after its birth. The... The rationale here is very important. If the fine in the first clause, right, in, in the clause in verse 22, applied to a child's death, 
It's as though God is telling a father, put a price on the life of your dead child. That is a a grotesque thing and God would never do it. Now, pro-abortionists, I've told you, use liberal translations to twist this text around. Uh, They make verse 22 sound like a miscarriage and not an abortion. Here's the RSV. When men strive together and hurt a woman with child so that there is a miscarriage and yet no harm follows, the one who hurt her shall be fined according as the woman's husband shall lay upon him and he shall pay as the judges determine. So they're putting this loss of a child in terms of a miscarriage and it is then to be fined. But in Hebrew, friends, this is indisputable. The word signifies a birth and not the Hebrew word for miscarriage. There's a separate word for that. The fine is linked to a premature birth, not a miscarriage. And friends, what makes a miscarriage so traumatic to so many, so many women and fathers too is that a miscarriage, they truly see this is a dead child. Women who have suffered miscarriages will tell you that that is their pain and their grief, that they have lost a child and they know it. So why would God say, if a man strikes you and causes you to miscarry, he should be let off with a fine when he has destroyed your child? God would never, ever let that happen. And let me just say, liberal Christians, they are the most heartless, heartless people on the earth. Never forget, boys and girls, they appear so compassionate. But what do we hear about Satan? He masquerades as an angel of light. And at the end of the day, there is no compassion there. Just as Satan made it sound to Eve, I have your best interest at heart, Eve, as he caused her to eat the fruit in that temptation. And he had no care for her at all. None at all. Where was Satan the very next day? He wasn't there to succor them. He wasn't there to help them. And that is exactly what these angels of light, masquerading as an angel of light, are like. They're here for you to have you murder your child and then they are gone. The Lord in many places says life begins at conception. And those in the womb have personhood from conception. Let me give you a few to reference and to note down. There are so many, I cannot even be comprehensive. Uh, Turn to Psalm 139 in your copy of the scriptures, if you would. Psalm 139. Um, This is a a wonderful, wonderful text. uh, Verses 13 through 16. Uh, And we can read uh, all of it, but we uh, uh, would be bound with time tonight. So verse uh, 13, Psalm 139, and I want you to listen to what David says. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee. When I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance, and the Hebrew word there is for embryo or fetus, yet being unperfect or unformed. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. David saw himself as a person in his mother's womb, that he was known by God in his mother's womb. And you know the psalm's context if you've sung this before or you've studied it. What is the psalm's context, beloved? David tells God, you know me and you utterly know me. You know me completely and thoroughly. 
That's what the psalm is all about. It begins, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Verse 7, whither shall I go from thy spirit or whither shall I flee from thy presence? And you remember he says, if I go into hell, you are there. Or in the grave, you are there. If I'm in heaven, you are there. I cannot go anywhere where you do not know me, God. That is the context of the psalm. So in other words, in verses 13 through 16, David is saying, even in his mother's womb as an embryo, God knew him. God knew him as a person. Because the embryo is the handiwork of God himself. And it is a human person, body and soul. And God has a real relationship with his people, even in our mother's womb. He knows us. That's reflected all throughout the scriptures, beloved. He knows us even before we are born, even before we are conceived. Jehovah spoke to Jeremiah like this in Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. When a person is formed in the womb, God has already known that person. They're not formed randomly. And this is where we become atheistic. Like God just said, oh, wait, there is a person there. Well, I guess I'll imbue it with personhood when it comes out of the mother's womb. No. God knows us thoroughly, completely, even before we are conceived. Before we are conceived, God has known that person. And the rest of the scriptures, you know, show this. John the Baptist in the womb leaps at the presence of Jesus who himself is in the womb. They both, well, John acknowledges Jesus Christ. And Jesus was a person in the virgin's womb from the beginning. Mary was told, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Luke one thirty five. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary, is what we believe, because this is what Scripture says. And at that conception, this is where the hypostatic union began, where God then takes on the nature of man in one hypostatic union. But as an embryo, and this is how great our Lord's humiliation is to come from, uh, from heaven, the God of heaven then taking on human flesh, even that of the simplest human person of all an embryo and we praise the lord for that that this is what he has done for our salvation but you know while the bible teaches this you know scientists haven't always believed that you know in old time men would speak of when a baby was quickened they believed that's when a baby received life usually 16 to 18 weeks of gestation when the baby was felt moving and they would call it quickening And that's when they believed that a baby had life. But before that, it was fine to abort the child because they they believed that the baby really doesn't have life. If you can't feel it, it's just inert, that there's no life in it. This is contrary to what the Bible teaches, isn't it? Uh, And even in Roe in 1973, the original decision uh, references this idea of quickening. And so basically was unrestricted access to abortion in the first trimester. And they use this language of quickening there. And so this is what I want you to understand, beloved, is that God has declared from the beginning that humans are, 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 are humans at conception. And now only science is catching up to the truth of that. Isn't that remarkable, friends? And what, what uh, faith we have in the word of God that teaches things that men believe uh, are, are folly, but are instead the wisdom of God, because God has truly made us all. 
And so, uh, boys and girls, I'll just say to that, the Bible is always vindicated, even if it seems like the society uh, is going in the other direction. This is the mind of God, our creator. And now the science is incontrovertible. There is a person in the womb. In 2017, the American College of Pediatricians, now this is a conservative group, but they summarized the science. The predominance of human biological research confirms that human life begins at conception, fertilization. At fertilization, the human being emerges as a whole, genetically distinct, individuated, zygotic, living human organism, a member of the species Homo sapiens, needing only the proper environment in order to grow and develop. The difference between the individual in its adult stage and its zygotic stage is one of form, not nature. This confirms what the Bible has always taught with science. Now, it's interesting, right? They're saying if you take uh, a, a, um, the, uh, uh, the, the conceived person in the womb, the embryo, and you analyze its DNA, it is utterly distinct from the, the woman, from the mother. This is what God has taught. You are a separate human person from your mother. And that is what has been vindicated by science. That's the teaching of Psalm 139, where the Lord knew David in his mother's womb. Or Psalm 51, verse 5, where David says, In sin did my mother conceive me. Do you know the the implications of that, right? He was a sinner when he was conceived. Only persons can be sinners, friends. Inert matter cannot be a sinner. Only a person is a sinner. And he was a person even when conceived. And because Christians have had the revelation of God from our earliest days, we have taught abortion is murder. The Didache from AD 120 says, Thou shalt not murder a child. And the Greek there, uh, if, you, if you look at the Didache in the Greek, that word is fetus in the Greek. Thou shalt not murder a fetus by abortion, nor kill that which is begotten. My copy of the Didache has scripture proofs. I'm not certain of their provenance. But the scripture proof in my copy is our sermon text, Exodus 21, 22, and 23. Far before the world scientists could do DNA analysis on a a fetus, the, the word of God and the Christian church understands that the fetus is a human person. So let me deal with a common objection today, which is women saying, my body, my choice. That is wrong. That is sinful. The baby is a different body and person. A baby is not part of a woman's body. God gave a child residence in the womb. So that the womb is the child's home until it is born. And that's God's beautiful design, friends. That the the, the home of the child is so close and near to the one uh, that uh, it was conceived in. And I also want you to remember this because this is another area where we we buy into such lies. Uh, First of all, none of us have the right to say anything like this. My body, my choice. God regulates our bodies. Even if it were, and it's not. Don't misunderstand. It's not. God says, Exodus 20, 13, thou shalt not kill applies to your own body as well. And so suicide is forbidden from us, isn't it? I cannot tell God I'm going to kill myself, my body, my choice. Our bodies are not our own. We are wonderfully knit together by God. We're, we belong to God. And now you think about this, right? 
This is where we saw in Romans 1 that because of our idolatry, women give up even natural affection for their children. Friends, a woman is designed to lay down her life for her children, especially one inside of her. She is to protect vehemently because even, you see this, even animals do that. Even animals will do that. So to hear a woman say, my body, my choice, shows a lack of natural affection. And that is a curse from God. What did Romans 1 say? That a lack of natural affection is a curse on us for our idolatry. That God has handed us over to having such a seared conscience and mind and depravity in our heart that we would want to kill our children because we hate God. And he says, you know what your curse is? You will want to kill your own children because you do not listen to me. You will kill even your own, which is a repugnant thing in nature. Friends, I bless the Lord for this. I have no doubt, no doubt at all, my wife would lay down her life for our children. I would do the same, but her natural affection is far greater than mine as she is a mother and she bore these children. And what you need to see this is that God says that there is nothing, nothing greater that he can compare his love and affection for us to than a woman's love for her own children. Isn't that how he speaks of his love for the elect? Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Isaiah forty nine fifteen. Friends, God says that he can survey the whole earth and he says that the, the thing that I can compare my love to, and it's so much more than that, right? That's what he's saying, is the love of a woman who, who loves the fruit of her womb, the son of her womb. And he says that my love is greater than that, that women can forget them. And you know, what's the implication there is, right? A woman wouldn't do that. And so he's saying they can forget but I will never forget to have compassion on us, on you. Now, this is why you see that women who don't have a seared conscience in this area, right, they grieve the loss of their children in the womb, let's say through a miscarriage. And you think of all the things, right? And I don't wish to open up wounds, ladies, if you've suffered a miscarriage, but it's a connection to how much you love the unborn. They say, I will never be able to hold the hand of this child. I will never be able to nurse this child. I will never see this child run and grow and praise the name of the Lord with his mouth. And that all becomes a grief to them as they think what could have been, right? But obviously in God's good decree was not decreed to be so. And so when a woman, right, goes the other direction and says, I want to kill this child, you see how seared our consciences have become. And so you have to understand just how, how horrifying of a, a judgment from God abortion is on the people of this land. And so, you know, and, and let me just speak to those who have had a miscarriage or, or maybe even an abortion um, before becoming a believer, before repenting of it. You know, the, the thing is, the promises of God for our children, whether born or unborn, are the same, Right. So if you believe on the Lord, we believe that he has made promises to be a God to us and our children, born and unborn. And so you 
beloved, if you've had a miscarriage, you have every right and expectation that you will be reunited with those children one day that you have lost. And the Lord, as the, the Synod of Dort says, we are not to doubt the election of the children that we have lost so young. Well, I could go on and on in this heading, but Jesus Christ clearly sees abortion as murder and is especially heinous in his eyes because it destroys a person he has formed, and that is the indisputable teaching of Scripture. And every church, every church that teaches otherwise, like the PCUSA, is a synagogue of Satan. It really is. And they do their work of, uh, they do the work of their father, Satan, in teaching otherwise. And so with that, I want us to consider our second heading, and we'll move to the next through a bit quicker. Second, Christ's enemies love abortion. And so I want you to understand that abortion is no new practice. It has long been done after the fall. And so we have to ask, where, where does this drive then? If it doesn't come from God, if it doesn't come from a conscience clean with God, where does this drive to murder children come from? And we have to answer, as we have so far, it is satanic. John eight forty four: Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. Why? He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. The devil is called two particular things here by Jesus, a murderer and a liar, and how both seem to apply to the the, the evil of abortion. Murders and lies. Those who pursue abortion and abortion policies are murderers and liars like their father. They do what Jesus says, the lusts of the devil. The devil has long lusted for the death of men. He lusted, you think of this, it was his desire to kill Adam and Eve with subtlety. Because he wanted to come to pass that awful refrain in the book of Genesis after the fall. What is that awful refrain? He died, he died, he died, he died, he died, he died over and over again. Because he knew that God was true to his word. That in the day you eat of the fruit, you will surely, that is emphatic in the Hebrews, you, in the Hebrew, you will surely die. And now you know, understand why, child of God, that the devil wanted to murder the human race. Why is he filled with glee with the thought of a human person being murdered, especially there in the garden? Because every death destroys one who bears the imprint of the one he hates above all, which is God. And that's why children were sacrificed to false gods like Molech, Leviticus 18.21. And thou shalt not let any of thy seed, that is children, pass through the fire to Molech. Neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. Do you see how it is idolatry to sacrifice your own children? And he says, I am the Lord. And I know no such thing as this. And what are false gods at the end of the day? What does the Bible teach us? Uh, Are false gods just... Uh, completely fake. Yes, they're not real. But the Bible says that they are demons, ultimately, right? Deuteronomy 32, 16 through 17. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God. Abortion is profoundly spiritual, friends. It is demonic. It is devilish. It is idolatrous. Only demonic men kill children. 
Evil men will kill their own seed. You think of child murderers in the Bible. Herod, he wanted to slay our Savior. End up slaying all the children, young children in Bethlehem. Why? Ultimately, it is because of his hatred of God in Christ, isn't it? It's idolatry at the end of the day. Idolatry is behind abortion. And especially as uh, the world tries to tempt women, right, as the devil does, uh, did in, in the garden, uh, tempt women into worshiping something that is not Christ. I want you to remember what surveys on abortion tell us about why women get them. Family planning perspectives. They published the last major survey in the U.S. from 1987 in which a survey of 1,900 women at large abortion providers across the country found that women's most common reasons for having an abortion were that having a baby would interfere with school, work, or other responsibilities, and that they could not afford a child. Pretty much, a baby would be a bother. I want to get ahead in my school or work. That's idolatry, friends. That's idolatry. Sacrificing a child on the altar of money or of career. Let me just remind you all that if you cannot afford afford to raise a child, if you believe that, there are plenty, plenty of people who are waiting to adopt a child who would gladly have that child, whether they cannot have a child of their own or they want to add to their family. There are plenty of people who would love to take uh, that your child in. You don't have to sacrifice your child on the altar. What parents are called to have is a sacrificial love for all their children, born or unborn. Right? You know, and, and so when we think in selfish ways, like what's going to happen with my career? What's going to happen with this? Or what's going to be the other? That is the complete opposite of love, isn't it? That's the complete opposite of love. That it would move you to murder, move you to murder for the sake of filthy lucre. You don't put it in those terms. Well, those are the terms you must put it in, friends. You know, every pregnancy, and we need to recapture this, every pregnancy, planned or not, is to be the occasion of great joy, friends. The Bible says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward, in Psalm 127.3. Young ladies, the Lord does not say that your career or your education is your heritage or your reward. He does not say your finances are your heritage or reward. But children, if he gives you children, are your heritage and your reward. And if he has given you children, enjoy the children he has given you, friends. They are from God. And you will find, if the Lord blesses you with children, friends, and not all of us will have children, I understand that. But if the Lord uh, blesses you with children, uh, on your deathbed, God willing, you will find that children are your heritage and not your work, and your career. You will not find your boss coming to your deathbed. But the children that God has given you, God willing, will be there on that day. And I will say every child in this congregation has added blessings to us. Isn't that right? Every child has added blessings. And I cannot imagine, beloved, the loss of any of them. Every child that the Lord has given my wife and I are a blessing Yes, sometimes our children are challenging, but blessings are like that at times. They are challenging, yes, but they are a blessed thing. And if you don't see your children that way, see them that way, beloved. 
That there would be, no matter, I don't care how, how hard or difficult it might seem to raise your child, it, the thought of your child not being there, any one of your children will fill you with grief if you would think about it. And you will understand the Lord is true. Every child is a blessing. And boys and girls, as you are growing up, you need to see children this way before the world tries to brainwash you. The world in league with the devil will prey on your fears about children. You go type into Google, how much does it cost to raise a child to adulthood? And it will put such an extravagant figure on there that it will say, oh, maybe I shouldn't have children if it costs this much. That's a lie, friends. You will find the Lord will provide for you. And it doesn't matter what, it co- what the world says it costs to raise them. And again, the world has strange views on what it costs to raise a child. You must give them an iPhone when they're four years old. You must give them the world's very best college education or else you shouldn't have children. It's all lies, friends. And they'll tell you that they will interfere with your fun. They will tell you that they are a burden. But that is what? To call God a liar. God has said they are a blessing. And so you are never, ever to kill your child in the womb or outside of the womb. What we have to recognize is that as the blessing comes from God, we are simply stewards of the children God gives us. You know, and I was thinking about this back in the 80s. You'll probably, some of you will know this if you're my age or older. uh, A comedian used to joke about his children saying to them on his show, I brought you into this world and I'll take you out. And uh, many laugh, I used to laugh as well, but as a Christian, it is a sick joke. It's a very sick joke, friends. It's a joke about murder. And it's a joke that also denies that God is the one who gave the child. God brought the child into the world, not us, not us. And uh, the world is insidious like that. Let me just, I just bring that out as a very subtle thing that many people will just laugh, ha, 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 but they have actually drunk the devil's poison. The world is is designed to insensitize you, desensitize you rather, even in its jokes when it comes to matters of life and death. I'll just say, as we consider the satanic and demonic kind of nature of abortion, underlying this is the great idol in our society, which is that idol of sex. There is a reason in the Old Testament, this is nothing new, by the way, in the old, we're just coming out of a Christianized uh, society, and now we're seeing sort of the horrors of running away from it. But there's a reason that idolaters in the Bible and in history created fertility goddesses and temple prostitutes. They worship sex. And that is what our society is doing. The, the, the worship of sinful pleasures is underneath abortion. They say you don't need to get married, and then if you have a child, go kill it. Sex is good in marriage, it is wonderful and beautiful, and so is the product of it, which is children. But to want sex and murder the children that are the product of it is idolatry, and it is the worship of sex. Now, this should really be a sermon series, but I'll try to wrap up as much as I can today. I also have to say this, that abortion is wrong in every case. Today, the world is going to prey on your fears you're going to, they're going to say, what about, what about the case of rape and incest? But we say with solemnity, friends, murder is always murder. Always a heinous sin, no matter what. What does the Bible say? That we are not ever to do evil that good would result. That is the Christian ethic, which is underlying at what? That we do not play God. 
God plays God, and we do not. We simply do what God tells us to do. So we never want to add murder to the sin of rape or incest. You know, if you can find testimonials all over the internet on this, that many children, praise God, their mothers have decided to keep them because of their compassion for the child, even as the child is a product of rape or incest. Knowing that what, you know, we think about, let us, you know, we think we're going to do evil so that good can result. But God is in the habit of bringing good out of evil, isn't he? Isn't he? And so uh, we find testimonies of these children and these children bless their mother. They love their mother and they bless God that they were not aborted. Never make a rapist or an evil man make you to become a murderer, which is what they will do, friends, to make you sin, to add to their sin. We cannot play God and you will find if you obey the Lord that greater blessings will result. That is an application of Deuteronomy 29.29, that the secret things belong to the Lord, but the revealed things are for us and for who? Our children. So let's conclude with our final heading, Christ's cure for abortion. You know, for almost um, five decades now, the hopes of many Christians was the reversal of Roe v. Wade. And now it looks like it might happen. But look at the backlash this week. Liberals are getting the votes necessary to uh, implement abortion as law. And I was on a tech site this week that put out articles on how you may get abortion pills if Roe v. Wade is overturned. Uh, overturning this, uh, this evil uh, decision is just stirring up the devil's hornet's nest. Now, I do want to say that every law against abortion is good and we thank God for them all. But I fear that we often put our hopes and energies disproportionately against this ruling. And I fear we have put our hope in princes to topple this kind of unrighteousness. And that is never the cure for idolatry, which is what is at abortion's root. Abortion is God's judgment, as you heard from Romans 1, because we dishonor God. And until idolatry is reversed, the blood of babies will shift from abortion mills to homes. Over 51% of abortions in this nation are committed at home with abortion pills. And some say in Europe, 90% of abortions are done with the pill. And if Roe is overturned, many liberal states have already put in place laws that allow for abortion. And now many employers are saying that they will transport their women employees to get abortions in states where it is legal. And Tesla, which is run by the latest, right, latest prince among conservatives, Elon Musk, says it will pay to transport its employees out of Texas to get abortions. Never put your trust in princes of men. And by the way, be wise to this. You know why employers do it. They don't care about the woman. They don't have to deal with maternity leave and women leaving the workplace when a baby is born. It is in their financial interest to do these things. They are abusing women and children, and they make it sound compassionate. But as we consider, as we consider the demonic nature of abortion, I thought, right, on our true gospel hope against it. And you think about the devil. And what do we hear of the Son of God? For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 5, 8. And praise God for that, that Jesus Christ is the ultimate cure. The gospel preached to our nation with fervency and power. And I'm not saying that we must look, uh, uh, not look to laws to pass against abortion, but our hopes, friends, must be in Christ's work and not men's. 
that Jesus would convert hearts to give them the same feeling we do about abortion. My heart was not always in this place, but Jesus Christ converted my heart, and now I have this feeling against abortion. That's the work of regeneration. Friends, we need new hearts, hearts that adore Christ and submit to his lordship. Just as in the book of Acts when we saw idolaters were put out of business when the gospel converted men. Only then will the majority of people call for abortionists to be put away. Only then will the government fund adoption and not planned parenthood and care for women and children. The cure for abortion is found in the blood of Jesus. You remember the first murder, right? Abel and his blood poured out onto the earth and it cried out for God's justice and vengeance. What does Hebrews 12.24 say? We have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. The blood of Abel calls for justice, and the blood of Christ calls for peace between man and God. It is the blood of Jesus that reverses murder, friends. And this nation needs repentance towards God because we are a nation of idolaters. I am convinced, friends, that the reason our nation still suffers the effects of our sins of African man-stealing is we never once repented to God over it. It is one thing to say, well, these, 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 these laws need to be put away. Okay, they're not three-fifths of a person anymore. You can no longer own slaves. That is not enough. We must admit to God that we have broken his commandments. Then only we see that healing comes from the Lord. Until we not only reverse Roe, but repent of it. And repent of 70 million image bearers murdered and treated like garbage in our nation. God will not bless this nation. And saying God bless America is repulsive to him and calls down his wrath. Until our nation uh, repents of all our sins. Countenancing false religions. Our sin of abortion. Loose divorce. Homosexuality. Transgenderism. And everything else. We cannot expect the blessing of God. But if the king of Nineveh could find mercy, so can we too as a country. There is plenteous mercy in Christ. And what did, you know, the king of Nineveh, we remember, repented at the preaching of Jonah. And what does the Bible then connect us to? It says one greater than Jonah is here. And so one greater than Jonah, that is Jesus Christ, can turn the hearts of an entire nation. But like the king of Nineveh, we must humble ourselves nationally. And as a church, we must acknowledge we have not done our duty. We have listened to men who have said you cannot preach politics and against abortion. We must preach the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation foremost. And to put anything else, friends, above that gospel hope is idolatry of our own. I'll say again, friend, if you have had an abortion or supported one in some way, Again, I want to say, if you have repented of your sin and trusted in Christ, you are forgiven. And that is how great the grace of God is in Jesus. I want to put it before you, and I know I'm going long, but you need to hear this. King Manasseh of Judah was a very, very wicked man. He sacrificed his son, as we sang in Psalm 106, in the fires of Molech. 
which is an abominable thing. And God brought him low in captivity, and he recognized his sin before God. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him. And he was entreated of him and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. Second Chronicles 33, 12 through 14, look it up. He was restored when he cried out to the Lord. Even if you have murdered your child, cry out to Jesus and he can forgive you. Abortion is not the unforgivable sin. There is plenteous redemption in Jesus. Even if you have aborted 10 or 100 children, Jesus can still forgive that. Only one thing condemns you, beloved, and it condemns even those who've never had an abortion, which is not believing in the Son of God and not having faith in him to forgive all your sins. Many women have repented of abortion and trusted in Jesus. And you have to believe this because this is a good and necessary consequence that upon their entrance into glory, they have been greeted by the very children they have aborted. That is the grace of Jesus Christ, friends. Be cleansed by the blood of Christ that speaks better things than the blood of babies. Now let me next speak to you who believe your righteousness is found in being against abortion. There are many who have the right view of abortion, that it is murder, who themselves are going to go to hell. I think of men like Ben Shapiro. Many Christians adore this man, but he hates Jesus as Herod did. And that is damnable. And he as well has the admonition resting on him. All that hate me love death. Being pro-life has saved nobody from God's wrath for their sin. Only faith in Jesus does. A woman or abortioner even who has repented of aborting children are in heaven now, whereas many pro-life people who never went to Christ are in hell this day. Well, friends, we live in a dark and evil time, but really no darker than first century Rome. Rome's evil, though, was toppled by Christ, wasn't it? But how? Through the courts of law? No. But through the church proclaiming the gospel and the oracles of God and then walking as salt and light. The church preached, repent and believe the gospel. The church proclaimed, Jesus Christ is Lord. And all the while she prayed and prayed and prayed and entreated the king of kings for help. She preached the gospel and converted many until the day Constantine himself converted to Christ. And then the laws of that nation were changed and Christianity became the religion of Rome as Constantine commanded. And as the good kings of Judah before him did, what did he do? He decreed that pagan temples were to be destroyed. He smashed idolatry. And so can the idolatry of abortion be demolished in the USA and Christ recognized as our ruler? Yes. Why? It's not because of the church. But as Psalm 102, as we heard last week, says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he did in Rome, he can do in America. So put your trust in Christ and not in Prince's congregation and see the evil of abortion and the cure to it as well. Amen. Please rise for prayer if able.